0: On. Um, we're so grateful for you to be there. You're welcome and whatever avenue you're watching this, be it now or later, to comment. Even if it's later and you're viewing it, comment along. Uh just as if you're in the live stream. We we love to be there with you. But those of you who are watching by connect at encounter360.org, uh the notes are in the notes section. If anybody else would like those notes, uh we are emailing them to some people. Uh, we can send you a copy of these notes. Uh send us an email at Connect C O N N E C T at encounter360.com so we're going to go ahead and get into the lesson genesis chapter 21 last week was a really good week it was a really good thought and we we had some really uh good lessons uh from last week and today before we start uh, you guys probably noticed in your notes that we're going to do a bit of a recap and the reason we're doing a recap is because we're about halfway through the book of genesis and sometimes the further away you get from something you start to lose some of the stuff. So we wanted to recap to keep the overall theme. The Bible has an overarching theme. So I'm just going to read it uh, from here. It says, we must remember that the overarching theme of the, of the Genesis and the Bible itself is the promise of the seed, um, that, that, that God has given a promise. God made man, he made man in a, a perfect state, but mankind failed. Uh, mankind didn't do what he was supposed to do. And God and His mercy had already had a redemptive plan in place to bring mankind back to Him. What self? The promise Seed will come through the seed of a woman uh, to crush the adversary. And for those of you who do not remember where that is, that is Genesis chapter three at verse fifteen, where God makes a promise and uh, to to the enemy or the uh, Satan, the adversary, and He says, "And I will put." enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers he will crush your head and you will strike his heel in other words you might be an irritant to him but he's going to deliver a fatal blow to you uh, and so that's important for us to know that this will bring redemption to mankind and usher in the kingdom of God and that's what this is all about that the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ that for unto us a child is what born a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. It's about the kingdom. Everybody said kingdom. (laughs) God establishing his kingdom, not an earthly kingdom, uh, but a kingdom on the earth, in the earth. Um, When he says upon this rock, I will build my church. He uses the word ecclesia, which means called out ones, but it is also a governmental term. In other words, God is coming back. He's a king. So a king will rule a what kingdom he's coming back for us kingdom and we see that the seed is preserved from adam through the line of seth that's genesis chapter 4 and 25 when you want to go back and look at that because we have a problem after uh he promises that the woman's seed uh will crush the head of satan then between the two of her seeds one one kills the other, so the good seed gets killed, and that seems like the promise would be over, and the promise would be aborted. However, God brings more children to Adam and Eve, and he brings the line of Seth. Seth is the son through—and most people don't even think about Seth. Most times we think about who? Cain and Abel. Sibling rivalry— but most of their story, a lot of it, now we know Cain, uh, his, his line goes on. But Abel's line, of course, is not there because he's murdered. But Seth's line is the line that we come through. And from the line, uh, that seed, because the seed and the promise has to get down through generations. And so it passes down from Genesis 4 and 25 all the way to Noah. And from Noah, uh, after the, the world is destroyed, by flood, it goes down through. Noah has three children. He has, does anybody know the name of those three kids? Okay, that's somebody way in the back. Huh? Ham, Shem, and what? Japheth. Ham is Ham is Hamitic. He is the Canaanite. Uh, people, the people from Northern Africa, those, those regions where people from darker hues come from, then you have Shem where the Semites and, uh, a lot of the Arabic people come from. And then you have Japheth from where we get most of our European descendants and things like that. So through the line of Shem is going to come, um, the promise seed. We have to keep in, in thought process that everything that we do in the Bible is about this Promised seed coming to redeem mankind to himself. And does anybody know who the promised seed is? Anybody know? Yeah, Jesus, Jesus. We have to start back all the way back over if you didn't get that. The promised seed, we have to start back in Genesis 1 and 1. Jesus is the promised seed. He is the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. And he's coming through. He'll come all the way through the line of David. Uh, and also we see that Shem's descendant has now come into the scene. And we've been talking about him a lot. What's his name? It starts with the A abraham and so we see that abraham has been promised uh, that his seed he would be the father of many nations down through and from him uh, is going to come the promised seed which is jesus but abraham and his wife decide not to wait on god and they decide to do things and what sells so rather than wait on god to give them the promised seed they say hey we're getting old she says i'm not gonna have any kids i'm too old for kids Probably wouldn't want to deal with them anyway. So I got this handmaid here. Her name is Hagar. I'm gonna give her to you to be your wife, and you're gonna take Hagar and you're gonna make a baby. And Abraham said, I, I disagree with that, but if you insist, I'll go ahead. And and from that comes all sorts of trouble. And, and, and you see from the beginning, there's contention between Abraham's wife, first wife, and his second wife, which is Hagar. Most people don't realize that they just call her the slave girl, but the Bible says that he gave her to her to wife. He became, she became his wife. So Abraham has two different wives, and, and so he has Sarah, to whom the promise of seed is supposed to come through, and he has Hagar, her Egyptian maid servant, um, through which um, they have decided to do things on their own. Abraham has a problem because he's gotten ahead of God and his decision to take his wife's advice keeps coming back to distress him. And we're going to see that come up now in Genesis chapter 21. And I I put a question right here. And that's one of our first questions, I believe, is that can you think of a time when a decision you made came back to haunt you? (laughs) That you did something, you knew that God's word said do something, but you did something different and it came back to bite you. I think everybody, if we think close enough, we made decisions or or we shouldn't have done things or said things. And at some point in time, those things cause us problems and headaches in the end. We look at those headaches and we say, how did I get in this place? Most times it's because the Holy Spirit, if we're saved, is in our hearts saying, I wouldn't what? do that, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't make that deal, I wouldn't sign that contract. And all of a sudden, next thing you know is, you, we always say, well, something told me. That wasn't something, that was someone. That was the person, if you're saved of the Holy Spirit, letting you know and guiding you through those things and so i put that question can you think of a time when uh, a decision came back to haunt you how important is it to keep yourself surrounded with people who give you wise counsel that's a question i want you to answer that but it's very important why That's a good answer without good influence. You go the wrong way. Why did Abraham make this decision? Did he walk in and say, uh, I've been checking out your handmaid uh, Sarah. And I, I and, uh, since you can't do the job, I think she can do the job. No. What did he do? He took what he took advice from his wife rather than him leading. He began to what? Follow. We see that's the second time we see that happening. The same thing that happened to Adam happened to Abraham. So we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20. And it says this, listen to advice and accept discipline. At the end, you will be counted among the wise. It is important for us to listen to godly advice to make sure that we're on the right track. I also put up Psalms one and one. Blessed is the man who standeth not in the counsel of the ungodly who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And I believe it's Corinthians that said, bad company corrupts good manners. You have to be really careful to whom you give your ear because bad advice can wreck your life. And oftentimes we qualify people's ability to give advice in our life by how close they are with us and how close they are relationally. And we don't look at the fact of, How well do they give advice? In other words, we'll have people who are divorced, but they're our best friend. Give us marriage advice. Or somebody tell us how to handle money and they don't have any money. And it's simply because we weight their advice in our life based on how we feel about them. We base, base it on how close relationally we are to them. And we trust them. And you may be able to trust them in some areas of your life. But that doesn't mean because I can trust you with this that I can trust you with that. Because just because you know about this doesn't mean that you know about what? That. And by taking their own advice, it can wreck your life. So uh, I titled the next part, Who's Laughing Now? We're going to start reading uh, at Genesis chapter 21 and go through verse one through six. And we're going to look at some things right there. So you guys are welcome to go with us. If you're in the chat, somebody type out there, Who's Laughing Now? You'll get that in a second. Everybody, let's read. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son, and Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him and commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. We're going to go ahead and read verse six. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh at me. She said, added. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have born him in a, as a son in an old age? In other words, my body wasn't even fit to nurse children. I wasn't biologically equipped for the job, but now God has rejuvenated my body. My body was, met, was not made for bearing children anymore. That time had passed. For me, but God had come back, and He took, taking something, and He redeemed my body. He He gave salvation to my body. My body was was down, and it was beaten, and it was beyond hope. And I want to talk to somebody today who may have a situation where it seems like it's beyond hope. It's beaten that you've gotten too old to do that. Uh, you might as well give up on those dreams or on those hopes. I've come to tell you that the reason it's important, and I said, "Who's laughing now?" Because we looked back a couple of weeks ago when they were going to destroy. Sodom and Gomorrah. And God turns and says, Abraham, Sarah is going to have a child It's going to come from your wife. And Sarah laughs to herself and nobody hears it. And God turns to her and says, why you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. And he said, yeah, yes, you did. <laughs> you laughed. And so I brought this up that God, uh, God, who's laughing now, sometimes the promises and grace of God can seem so unrealistic that we would tend to laugh at them. I've come to tell you that sometimes God will do uncommon things in your life. A lot of times we're not living up to the potential that God has given us because we have just resided that we're going to be normal like everybody else. I'm going to get up and work nine to five. And, then, and that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to try to get a pension or sell a little money back or wait on Social Security. Please don't wait on Social Security. Save some money for yourself. Uh, don't trust Social Security. But I'm just going to do that. And after a while, when I get too old and broke down, I guess maybe my kids will like me and they'll take care of me. And I live like that in America. Maybe I have a house. Maybe I won't. Why settle for that? What if I told you, Lamar, that there's a business in you? What if I told you? that you're the next millionaire in in this, in this building. Now I see he wants to laugh a little bit. See, that's, that's, that's what I'm getting. You see how sometimes you can say things to people and they can't see it. I remember one time my spiritual father came into a room uh, full of ministers and he spoke something to us and that thing happened for me. But at the time he spoke it, it seemed so ridiculous. I said that will never happen to what me because my mind, wasn't yet ready to manifest the possibilities that God has. Oftentimes, we put our pocketbook in God's pocket. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Somebody missed that. We put our pocketbook in God's pocket. We assume because we can't afford it, God can't. Hmm somebody missed that we put our hopes and dreams in god's pocket just because it doesn't normally happen for people like me i assume that it will never happen for me but god can guess what there are millions of people on the planet but god has a specific plan for you and you cannot say it won't happen to me because i hear ephesians 3 20 saying now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think which means that god's ability goes beyond your thinking capacity so imagine Imagination is one of the best things that Christians can have. You know why? Because if you can dream it, you can have it. You know what? I was sitting up and I was looking at this iPad and I was typing on it. And this iPad has been a blessing. We do some things on it, with videos and all sorts of stuff. And when we don't want to use the big cameras and we do all this other stuff. And I was thinking about how useful this was. And all of a sudden last night, I looked at this iPad and I said, you know what? This was somebody's imagination. At one point in time, this did not exist. One day somebody had a mindset to say, I want to create something like this that's vastly different from anything anybody has ever seen. I want to create a tablet that people can walk around with and actually be able to talk on the phone with and touch it just like star Trek. And guess what? They took their imagination and put some feet with it. We're going to be talking about that in a couple of weeks. Faith with, with works, put them together, put some feet with their faith. And guess what? It manifested itself. But you are looking at somebody's imagination. 50 years ago, who would have said that somebody is, I'm in a local church, somebody's watching us right now, hundreds of people that aren't even in the building from different parts of the state through that camera back there and that camera and that camera and those switchers and all that other stuff they got back there working. Who would have imagined that? But now it's what? Possible. There are people in Jamaica and other places that, that that send feedback to us. Guess what? All over the world from this, this spot, this local spot, who would have imagined? But guess what? It won't happen as long as you keep laughing at God. But I've come to tell you, laugh at God all you want, but God will have the last laugh. I want to give you hope and I want to give you promise that if God promised you something, he can do it. Stop taking, putting the limits on yourself. As you can see, this isn't my notes. This is for somebody. Stop stop taking the limits of your pocket and your vision and your ability and put it on God. God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above whatever you could ask a thing. So I can imagine when this happened that God is saying, who's laughing now? God has brought me laughter. And here's the thing. That I want you to see. It says Sarah had laughed at God's promise. God turned that laughter, fueled by doubt, unbelief, and cynicism, into joy. She was still laughing, but it was fueled by something else. <laughs> see, sometimes we laugh because we we have that cynical like, ah, that's funny." You're trying, you you being a smart aleck, Lamar. huh uh, that's funny, Pastor. You know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a millionaire. Nobody like me can be a millionaire. Said every millionaire ever. <laughs> But at the end of the day, it has to start with your belief. Now, everybody's not going to be a millionaire. I don't want that to be your takeaway. What I'm trying to tell you is whatever God has promised you, whatever he's put in your heart to do, you have the faith to believe that it's possible. All things are possible. Only what? Believe. If you have the faith of the mouse seed, you can speak to this mountain and say, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and it will be done unto you. We have to become, again, a people of faith. We have to believe the unbelievable. We have to think the unthinkable and try to reach the unreachable. Now, God is doing this for his purpose. He may not give you a baby at 100 years old. You may not want a baby at 100 years old. But what if he gave you a business at 50? What if you thought I'm I'm too late to save for retirement, and and you're like Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders started his business at 65 years old. He had been to prison and everything else, and I guarantee you there's not one person in this building that doesn't know what Kentucky Fried Chicken tastes like. (laughs) Don't ever give up on God. God changed the, the tone from where that laughter was coming from. Uh, Lamar didn't put up my clock. Lamar gave me my clock so I, I won't go too far. Uh, Lamar trying to sneak on me. He want me to just take my time. But I, I, I'm, I, I like the clock. And uh, we're, we're going to go. I want you to see this. It's vital. And this is your first blank. That it's vital that no matter how improbable it sounds, we hold to the promises of God our laughter will turn into joy does anybody know what Isaac means it's one of your questions does anybody know what what, what Isaac means he who wept laughs in other words that He is my joy. He's causing me laughter. God is getting the last laughter. What a play on words. God will always have the last laugh. If you trust him, you will have joy in the end. And then I talked about Ephesians 3.20 already and about Abraham trying to help God out. But I want to read this to you because it's powerful. It says Ephesians 3.20 states God is able to do much more than we can even imagine. How faithful and loving is God that despite Sarah and Abraham's attempts in disbelief to help God out, God still kept his promise. God's mercy and grace is incomparable. Guess what? Despite our efforts to try to destroy the plan of God in our life, God is still faithful to those what plan. Sometimes our life will take a detour, but detours are not always bad. Sometimes detours protect you. I'll admit not too long ago, I saw a detour and I didn't want, I I was trying to go somewhere and I said, man, I don't have time for that. I'm just going to go this way. It's quicker. And I got caught in traffic. They were cutting off traffic because there was something blocked up on the interstate. So rather than take the time to drive around, I wanted to go the way that I was familiar with and the way I knew because I felt like it was quicker, not realizing that something on that path had caused it to be slower now. And so what I usually thought was quicker cost me more what? Time. Sometimes your choices may cost you more time, but guess what? God has already calculated your missteps. Don't you think he knew what Abraham and Sarah would do when he told them he's the beginning and the end? He already knew what they were going to do. Think about that. When God told Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He already knew that Abraham was going to go get Hagar and do what he did. But that didn't stop him from giving the promise, and that didn't stop him from fulfilling it. So we're going to look at verse 8 through 10 because there's a baby now. Sarah has a baby, and things are about to change. We know that there's already tension between Hagar and Sarah because she's been so harsh to Hagar that Hagar ran off and God had to uh, send an angel to bring her back. So there's already family tension, or as we would say in today's world, there's baby mama drama after already and so that's already there we're going to start at 21 verse 8 through 10 and what does it say the child grew and was weaned and on the day Isaac was weaned Abraham held a great feast but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking and she said to him get rid of that slave woman and her son For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. Let's keep reading. Let's go all the way down to 20. Let's go ahead and knock that out. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early in the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. Wow and she sat there nearby she began to sob, and god heard the boy crying and the angel of god called to hagar from heaven and said what is the matter hagar do not be afraid god has heard the boy crying as he lies here lift the boy up and take him to the hand by the hand for i will make him into a great nation then god opened her eyes and she saw a well of water so she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer while he was living in the desert of Param, His mother got, uh, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. I wanted to go ahead and read that so we could kind of go down through here because the first question here that says tension can be brought into the house when we do not obey God, there's tension in the house. All of a sudden, Ishmael begins to mock his little brother who's somewhere probably around two years old at the time now, because Ishmael has grown up as an only child. Ishmael has grown up being told that, um, your father's first wife can't have a baby. So you're probably going to take over this house when you get older. Ishmael is a teenager by this age, sometime, somewhere between 14 to 16 years old. Abraham is about 86 when he's born. Abraham's is 100 now. Ishmael somewhere between the age of 14 and 16. He's coming into his own. And everybody, every guy knows what it's like when you're coming into your own. And you feel like you're a man. Uh, you, you're growing up to be a man, and daddy's going to give you the inheritance. And all of a sudden, now another favorite child comes in by the other mother and you're gonna see that drama just keep going we talked about that a little bit Sunday didn't we How certain family cycles when you make certain decisions keep going and so this boy smirks and he laughs and now there's a problem tension can be brought into a house when we do not obey God Abraham and Sarah's decision has now caused division and tension how many times this is the question For us, do we see couples who refuse to lovingly follow God's plan for the family and the children pay the price? In other words, they decide God's God says this is how you should have a family. This is what a wife should do. This is what a husband should do. I'm giving you a prescription for this. But because the wife wants to be the husband and the husband wants to be the wife and nobody wants to follow their roles and instead of working in the perfect unity and harmony that God has given them to complement everybody and to complement one another and use each other's strengths, they're fighting and vying for power. And because they make those decisions, kids pay the price that the next part of that question says divorce. Feelings of abandonment and trust issues, all caused by parents' refusal to accept and follow the word of God. Abraham and Sarah had already received the word of God. Abraham received it. I'm going to make you a great nation. But they decided not to follow God's word. And now the residual is showing up. Sometimes it takes a while for things to show up when we don't do what God says. It might take a second. But when it comes back to us, sometimes it comes back with a vengeance. And I have a question for you. Can you think of a decision that caused relational tension in your life? Everybody has something that you did that God told you you probably shouldn't do or said that God probably told you you shouldn't say. And you either have a family member that you don't speak to or doesn't speak to you or relational problems or may cause the divorce or all sorts of things. Things were broken because we refused to obey God's what? Word. Now, some of those things have been repaired. Some of those things may never be repaired, but we can all identify with what's going on here. I have a question. How did you solve it? And this is the most powerful question. If it hasn't been solved, what are your steps to solve it and resolve it? If you haven't done that, if you still have family member you haven't seen in years or talked to or things like that, what are your issues to reconcile that before it comes to a head? Because now, because we have not dealt with the fact that we both disobeyed God and we went our own route, this was not Hagar's fault. She's a slave. She had no choice in the matter. We have done this to her and now there's a problem because her son has some tension. So I see verse nine, verse nine tells us that when she saw that, that she saw that him, and I want you to see how Sarah says this pull up verse for nine again. It says, but Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking and she said to Abraham verse 10, get rid of that slave and her son for that slave woman's son will never share the inheritance with my son's Isaac. Now look at her attitude. What happened to humble Sarah that says I'll even lie and say, you my brother to help you out. Now she, you, she reached her pain point where she's had enough because you see something that even in this text, God does revert. He does refer, and you'll see that in your notes. He does refer to, uh Ishmael as the son of the uh the son of the slave but God in this tense when Moses is writing this is being more descriptive we can tell from the tone that's not what Sarah is doing because Sarah knows Hagar's name she knows Ishmael's name, but listen how she says this to Abraham. That, that's amazing. All of a sudden, she's forgot their name. It says, but Sarah saw the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham, saying she knows this is Abraham's son. But this is how she says it. Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Oh, you know his name. But you don't know their name. You see that in the text? And so I put this here that we see this dame between Sarah and Hagar because we have seen in previous texts that when they don't deal with certain issues, it can carry on into the next generation. He's been put, this boy's been put in a very uncomfortable position. He didn't ask to be here. He didn't ask for this. But he was promised an inheritance just by him being born. And all of a sudden he sees it snatched from him because of this little child. So, yeah, he's going to be a little bit cynical. But this is important because some of that has probably come from some stuff his mama has said. You know, my, my pastor used to always tell me, you can always tell the families that's talking about you and don't like you. Watch their kid. When their kids used to hug you and they don't they don't hug you anymore or they're looking at you, rolling their eyes, acting crazy towards you. You can tell because kids have a hard time, uh, hiding stuff. And so you can see that, uh, they've been talking about you at the house. (laughs) They've been saying things about you at the house. Their demeanor changes. Adults learn the art of being fake. Kids aren't very good at that. And so you can imagine that Ishmael is not hiding this. There's beef between his mom and Sarah. And that beef has been there for a long time before he even came out of the womb. So you can imagine that Hagar's had a few not nice things to say towards Sarah. And Sarah's probably done a few not nice things towards Hagar. So I want to read this just how I wrote it when it came to me. I want to read this because it's important. I want you to get this. It's at the top of the next page. It says, although God refers to Hagar as a slave as well, there's a different intention and meaning behind what Sarah is saying. God is being descriptive in the text. Sarah is seemingly attempting to dehumanize. He doesn't have a name anymore she doesn't have a, that slave and her son. She obviously knows both Hagar and Ishmael's name, but she calls him the slave and her son her uh, her son. Her tone and conversation reveals her intention and her motive toward them. She refuses to acknowledge that he's Abraham's son too and he's here because she chose for him to be here Abraham's son and well besides saying he's a competitor. With her child. That's what's really the problem. So, by the way, does she call Isaac by name? Yes, yeah, she does. So, I put this there. Have you ever made it easier? or ever tried to make it easier to mistreat someone by dehumanizing them or slandering them? Did you try to make them the villain to someone else to justify and cover up not just your actions, but your unresolved anger and rage and malice and pain in your heart? Have you ever had someone do that to you? And how did it make you feel? Have you ever fell out with somebody and you go around telling everybody else to make that person, everybody else fall out with them? Or have you ever had somebody do that to you? Somebody fell out with you, so they went to everybody's place they could and on social media and all sorts of places to try to dehumanize you because it's easier to hate you when you dehumanize people. That's why sometimes we have derogatory terms for people and ethnic groups because it's easier to mistreat people when you dehumanize them. It's easier to mistreat women when you call them things that they shouldn't be called. It's easier to dehumanize your brother and your sister when you stop calling them your brother and your sister and you call them by other names. Have you ever had that done to you? Or you've been mad at somebody and so you get on the phone and you want to talk to your buddy, but it's not really to talk to your buddy. You, you call to say, I want you to understand what I'm going through. But what you're really trying to do is get them on your what side. So because I fell out with them, I won't you to fall out with. I want you to hear how horrible a person they are for what they did to me. And you put them in a bad position because that person saying they haven't done anything to me. Matter of fact, we have a great relationship. Why do I have to pay for what's going on with y'all? Because that's between y'all. Now, if it's something heinous, or something like that, like abuse. That may be a different thing, Uh, and some things biblically as it goes to church discipline, but most times, in most cases, we try to dehumanize people. We see it all the time, in politics don't we? turn on the news, CNN, Fox News, whatever you want to pick on, and what do they do? They try to dehumanize politicians, as if these politicians don't have wives and husbands and families, that they don't bleed and have other things, and you find yourself talking about them like you would never talk about them to their face. Because we've allowed commentators to dehumanize them. But those are people. Those are real people with real emotions and real, real feelings. And how would you feel if somebody said about you what you said about them? That's a powerful thought, isn't it? But it's easier to just mistreat somebody you dehumanize. Now she put Abraham in a prop in a pickle because Abraham realizes something that Sarah seems to have forgotten. This is my son. He's not just a slave. He's flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. So Abraham stressed out. Even though this was Sarah's idea. Now she's coming back wanting other people to pay for her idea. I put this down, and I want you to see this in one of the next to the last questions. It says, remember, following others' ideas over God's word can leave us holding the physical, emotional, and spiritual bag. Sometimes we don't know how to fix what we messed up. We don't know how to fix what we messed up. But he followed his wife's his wife's advice now he's left holding the bag now he's up at night stressed i can't just send my son off to die i know what's gonna happen if i send my son off to die but god comes to him and says guess what i know you've messed up but i already knew you were gonna mess up and i'm this is kind of my mo behold the lamb slain before the foundation of the world i generally make the solution before the problem shows up god's innovative like that before adam ever sinned, he was the lamb slain what before the foundation of the world so before Abraham had ever messed up he already had made a redemptive way for him to come back what to him so before Abraham had messed up with Ishmael God already had a plan for what Ishmael that's an encouraging word for somebody who may have messed up your life and you're listening tonight God knew you were going to mess up don't worry about those things when you mess up fess up Get up and move forward. I want somebody to write that in the chat. I'm going to say it again. Everybody say it together. When you mess up, fess up. Get up and move forward. That's the most powerful thing you can do. Nobody in the world is what without mistakes, but what makes somebody excel above the other person is how you handle failure. How do you handle your mistakes? Do you own up to your mistakes? And do you get up and do you move forward? Or do you make excuses for your mistakes and make no changes? Now God tells him, I already knew you were going to make this mistake. I'm going to take care of the boy. Go ahead and send him out. And that comes to the last part of that question, that we must trust the word of God, even when it's painful to do so. Because whether or not God's going to take care of that boy, Abraham has been raising that boy. For fourteen to sixteen years. <laughs> he's watched him cry. He's circumcised them himself. He's picked him up when he's fallen. He's taken him honey. He's hugged him. He's told him, I love you. That's his son. But because he disobeyed God, see, he can't be there to compete with the promise because there's a promise seed and then there's Ishmael. And Ishmael is not the recipient of the promise isaac is so he's caused some of his own pain by what he did so now he has to send his son forward but this is what i wrote and we need to keep that i'm gonna repeat it we must trust the word of god even when it's painful to do so as we see with what happened to ishmael god is still faithful Ishmael came out and Ishmael became an archer. Ishmael became into a great nation. God still blessed both of Abraham's boys. I want to talk to somebody who made mistakes with their kids and you worried because your kids are crazy now. Don't worry about the mistakes you made. God has the ability to still help your kid. Your kid might be your child might be on drugs. Your child might be in a promiscuous lifestyle. Your child might be in, in some kind of crazy lifestyle. But whatever the case, whatever mistakes you made, don't give up on them. God saw their mistakes. Pray for them. Get on your knees for them because that you may have made some mistakes. Every parent does. There's not a parent in the world that has not made a mistake, except for a dishonest parent that's the only one that's never made a mistake and so it it is what it is but don't shun your kids pray for your kids love your kids and if you put them in God's hands God will take care of them much better than you can his hands are more sure than yours are So I put this here as a power principle and I didn't have them put it on the screen, but if somebody can remember it in the chat, I want you to write it down. It says, sometimes you have to let go of what you plan to walk into what God promised. Mm. I'll say that again, because that's a powerful thought. Sometimes you have to let go of what you plan to walk into what God has promised. You got to let go of Ishmael because God has given you, as sometimes you thought that your blessing in your life was going to turn out this way. And all of a sudden God tells you it's going to turn out another way. Sometimes you plan. I'll tell you something very, very, I'll be very candid. My plans weren't to leave the state of Mississippi. My plans were, I had it pretty nice and I was going to be good in the state of Mississippi. Everything was fine for me. I know I had no problems, no issues at life was great. And all of a sudden, God made me give up what I had planned nothing bad it was all good but I had to give up what I planned to get what God had promised because God promised me some things and I saw those things begin to manifest themselves but had I not given up what I planned my plan was to retire. I already knew how much money I needed to put aside. I'm a financial advisor. I, I knew how to, I need to put aside this much money to retire and eat lobster every week at, at, at the king crab down here. I do what I'm going to do. I like crab legs. I knew exactly what I need to do. When I was going to pay off my house, all that stuff. I'm really methodical. I knew if I do this by this time, by this time, I'm going to stop this. Everything was laid out for me. And God said, Hello? <laughs> I got that promise I've been promising you. Well, God, it, it, it took so long for you to give that promise that I kind of have other plans now. And so I'm, these plans are working really well. I, I got these things going. So I'll see you later, God. Thank you. Hello? That's not how this works. Well, just give me a little bit now. I, I, I work on that promise now, God, but life is good. Let me see how this plan is going to work out. And then maybe I'll get back to you. Don't you shut that door, on me. <laughs> Don't we do that to God sometimes? We determine what our life's going to look like, how many kids we're going to have, where we're going to live, what what kind of school we're going to have. And oftentimes, a lot of people are not walking in the blessings that God has for their life because their blessing is in Arizona and they're in Texas. Their blessing is at the the job down the street where somebody's going to mentor them and show them how to get a business, but they're comfortable at the job where they are. And sometimes you've got to let go of Ishmael to take hold of Isaac. You've got to let go of what you thought your life was going to look like. And trust God that what you have for me is better. Had I not let go of what I thought my plans were going to be, I wouldn't know how fun it is to jump in a suit and tie in the bouncy house with tons of kids and, and hundreds of eggs and all that stuff. But I know that joy. Why? Because I let go of my Ishmael. I let go of my plans. I'm I'm a planner. If you haven't figured that out by me, you don't know me very well. And my, my whole mentality about life is chess, not checkers. If you see me do something, it's something most times that in many cases that's been planned for a while. I plan out things. I have stages for things. When by the time I reveal something, my friend said, every time I turn around, it look like you're doing something else. I said, That's because that's when I let you know it's happening. But it's been work, I've been working on it for months. I'm a planner. That's how I plan. But sometimes, guess what? You got to give your plans to God. Because God may take a different route than you take. I don't know why I'm stuck here. Because I know I got all stuff to go. But maybe somebody's holding on to some things. And it's not quite working out how you thought it would work out. It could be that you need to try it again. Or try it a different way. But it could very well be that maybe God has an Isaac for you. And you holding on to Ishmael. And you're scared. That if I let go of Ishmael, if I let go of this job, what are they going to do without me? They're going to keep living. If I do this, these people are depending on me. What's going to happen to me? They're they going to keep living. If you don't believe me, die. Before your obituary, get out there and have a new, new, new job posting. What you're holding on to will be okay. God will take care of that thing. He's already got that thing worked out. But you need to make sure that you're walking in the promise that God has for you. So last time on this power principle, because that just struck me. Sometimes you have to let go of what you plan to walk in what God has prom- promised. Because I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, God will do a 180 on you, and you think you headed this way in life. And he'll say, no, that's not what I got planned. But it's what I got got playing, God. And that's the problem with us in most times in life. Instead of us saying, God, help me do what you're blessing. We keep asking God to bless what we're doing. And we keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And what's the definition of that? Insanity. If you want something different, you got to try something what? Different. Got to try something different. Do something different. We weren't even doing Bible study in this format last night. There weren't all these tables and people sitting them with pens and stuff. But we wanted a different result. And so guess what? We tried something what? Different. And it makes people more engaged. There are more people online being engaged uh, when they can't make it here. We have people that are faithful people, but they can't get here. They're sick and their body's not where they need to be. But they watch us every week. So while we're in here, they're right along what? With us. That's different. But it's a blessing, amen. now let's go to the last one this last last little passage, and I won't read through this whole passage. this is basically uh chapter twenty three uh verse twenty two rather through thirty two Abraham is talking to Abimelech and he's going to stay there with Abimelech, and Abraham brings up a grievance because he dug a well and somebody took his well and he took and so they put a uh, Abimelech comes along with him. They've already pulled it up, so we can we can go ahead and read it because we got a little extra time. How about that? Uh, let's go ahead and read verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Ficol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, "God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants." Show to me in the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear. it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Uh, but Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I've only heard about it today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven u lambs from the flock and Abimelech asked Abraham what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves remember he's a pagan he doesn't know anything about about these traditions Abraham has he says he reverse 30 he replied "Accept these seven lambs from my hand as it is witness that I dug this well so that the place is called Beersheba or the place of the oath, because the two men swore an oath there After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistine. Abraham planted a timorous tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord. There he is again. That's what I want. I want to stop there. No matter how many mistakes Abraham does, you consistently see him making some of the same mistakes. But what what do you also consistently see him doing? He's what? calling on the name of the Lord. Why is that important? Because just as much as you're consistent in your mistakes, you need to be consistent in your going to God and calling on his name and worshiping him. He called on the name of the Lord, the Eternal God, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. These are the last two questions for tonight. It says we've seen a similar situation with Hagar before as we were talking about how God took care of her and God caused the well Um, but God had already made her a promise. Remember that God had already told Hagar, I'm going to take care of him and make him a good nation. But this is what I want to bring out. However, her current circumstances cannot help her see beyond. Remember from a previous lesson that Ishmael means what God hears. Hmm. Sometimes it's important to be reminded of this fact. When we are going through a tough situation, God still hears. God still cares and God still delivers verse 20 god said that god was with the boy and he grew up in other words that sometimes even though we're saved even though we know god when we get in a situation sometimes we don't look directly to god we allow life to get us a little shook up sometimes don't we and when we get shook up when the first thing we don't do is call on the name of the lord but just remember that when you're in a situation god still sees he still hears and he sees he still cares Last question is we end seeing Abraham residing in peace in the land of the Philistines. That's the last question. Now, this is what I want you to get. Abraham was wrong. Somebody took his well. He dug that well, but we see he used diplomacy to solve an issue of injustice. And I put this in here. We should always seek peace as an available option. He could have came at Abimelech and said, you know what? I did this well. I dug this well, and uh, your people jacked me for my well. I need them to give back my well. But Abraham ends up giving him lambs, you lambs. He, He puts it down as an oath. We see that Abraham is good, is becoming good at what? Diplomacy. Sometimes the need to be right destroys a lot of relationships. Everybody said the need to be right. Sometimes your home will be more peaceful if you didn't have the need to be right. Sometimes I I learned this from a family member. He used to have this saying, my brother-in-law, you can't argue by yourself. Sometimes we should look and seek what? Peace. So I brought up this scripture, Romans 12 and eight. And if they can get that, I want them to put that on, on the screen. Romans chapter 12, verse eight. And we're going to, uh, Read that. If I wrote that in Romans 12 and 18, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 18, because as Christians, this is what we should be seeking to do. Let's read it. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. God wants us to have a quiet and peaceful life. Sometimes it's not worth it to win the argument. Sometimes it's worth it for peace. Sometimes it's not worth it to have your way because, you know, the person you're dealing with is more immature and the relationship you have with them is worth more than being right in this one situation. Sometimes you got to lose the game. Yeah, you may be right. But is the argument that it's going to cause worth it? Now, if it's something vital and it's something that's worth fighting for, I'm not telling you not to fight for right principles. But let's be honest: most of the situations that cause I'm never speaking to you again are petty things, aren't it? Absolutely. The petty arguments, stuff that happened at funerals or family reunions. I can't believe you embarrassed me. And you 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 threw threw this on my head, or you did this. I can't believe you said this to me. Just petty stuff, and most of it could have been avoided. If we'd have just said, I'm seeking peace. Grandma died, and now I got to have my color casket. I got to have my flowers, and you got to put our poem in the obituary, whatever the case may be, or this or that. And, and because I'm mad at you because I know you never came to see mama or grandma or daddy, now you want to be at the funeral without looking like, like a, a star, and you want to be in the limousine, and you want to be the first person on the casket hollering, and, and and you know people do that. Now you're looking at them, and everybody else looking like, what a shame you looking at them, and in your mind, you're not thinking, God bless you, you said, look at it's a fake. They didn't come to see them. All oh, they want to sympathy. it. I'd have to go up there and push you over in that casket with them since you love them so much and you didn't, you didn't go to see them. I said, that sounds crazy, but don't we think stuff like that? And sometimes we'll have enough nerve to go up. And I've actually seen video of people get up at funerals and say, I know you, you owe this person money and you did this person like this. I don't know why you get up and keep telling them you love them. Please don't do that at a funeral. But petty stuff. To seek peace. Sometimes it's not worth it. You know what the best definition of forgiveness is? Let it go. Yeah, you're right. They did something wrong to you. And they did it for the fourth time. But a healthy marriage and your kids growing up in a peaceful home is more important than you being right and arguing until you beat the other person into submission. Let it go. The scars and the counseling bills, they got to pay because both of y'all are too immature that you can't stop fighting all the time. Now they grow up and they dysfunctional. Simply because you have the need to be right. Everybody said live at peace. My spiritual father used to always quote that that uh, that scripture and I, I get it now. The older I get, the more I see it. He said that we should seek to live a quiet and a peaceful life. And the older I get, you know, the more I want peace. i do whatever for peace. i let you be right all you want to. You can tell me the sky's green. And I said, well, if you feel that way, have a nice day. I was just talking about that day and I told her, said sometimes you just gotta let people be happy in their ignorance. Yeah. So they you two plus two equals fish, I might not lie and tell you it equals fish, but I'm gonna smile and say, Hey, I'm glad you feel like that. <laughs> Because that, that's the truth, isn't it? You're right. You—that's the the conversation y'all had was exactly right. The need to be right has destroyed many lives. And your peace is more important than Seek peace. I'm not saying go along with wrong. That's not what I'm going uh, saying. I'm hoping nobody's hearing me say that. I'm not saying go along with wrong when people are doing wrong. But you got to evaluate: is it really worth it? And in the grand scheme of things, is it worth the conflict? Abraham. Had somebody push him off a well, he dug. You know how hard it is to dig a well in the desert and then climb out of said well to get water so you can live, and then somebody else just debows you. Some of you don't know who Debo is, but look it up. debos you out of out of your out of your stuff and takes your bike. And that's another Debo reference. But at the end of the day, you get mad and you get upset. But because Abram took Abraham now has taken the peaceful route and took an L. It said he lasted in the land of the Philistines. What? A long time. He had a peaceful life. He's gonna go on and do some other stuff and God's not through with the story of Abraham. But let's seek to live in peace. Any other questions or comments? Thank you, that's a great observation. Two plus two is equals fish. I've never heard that. <laughs> any, any questions, any comments? If not, we're going to pray and we're going to be finished for you guys that are watching online or those that come after. I noticed a bunch of people come after the fact, after the live stream, maybe at your own Bible study or, or, uh, whatever the case may be, drop a line in the chat, uh, let us know you're there. We come back and we look and we love to interact with you guys. If you don't know Jesus, uh, now is the time, uh, for you to know Jesus uh we that's why we do this is so that all men could come to him he said if i be lifted up from the earth i would draw all men unto me so we preach christ and him crucified jesus died for you and we implore you to live for him and if you do and you decide that you want to give your life to christ give us a message tonight and let us know Uh, we're going to pray and we're going to let you guys uh, go let's pray god we thank you for what's uh, been given here tonight and i pray that this word has been practical and life-giving and helped us to speak life into people's lives and their situations, that you will be glorified and that we will live according to your purpose, God. Thank you for sending your seed to the seed of a woman, God, and allowing that seed of a woman to redeem our souls through mankind. Thank you for allowing us to see this journey and see what great lengths you go to and through just to save us. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we never forget that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We pray for those who are sick and aren't aren't able to make it tonight, and couldn't make it, God. Give them strength in their bodies in Jesus' name. Um, Lord God, for Brother David Nichols, I call him out in prayer tonight. God, touch his body. um, Heal him. Lord God, I know you can, and we ask that you will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I declare that you are blessed in